hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where your courageous life starts. Howdy and welcome to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Footy fans are going to absolutely love this episode. And uh, I want to also address the um, issue of having a mental health issue and some people feeling like because I'm challenged with that, I'm not able to succeed and do great things. Now, I want to put that myth to bed because uh, today I'm talking with uh, Dr. Dan Eddy, who is an amazing writer and he's done incredible things despite um, having to push through a lot of mental health challenges. So you're going to love this story. Let me tell you about Dan. With 12 published books in six years, Dr. Dan Eddy is one of Australia's most prolific nonfiction authors. His authored and co-authored books include King Richard, The Story of Dick Reynolds, Larrikins and Legends, Always Striving, The Norm Smith Medalists, and his latest book, Crimo, The Peter Crimin Story, which was just released last year. Dan currently has a number of exciting book projects in the works, including an authorised biography of Hawthorne and Australian football legend Peter Hudson, plus the untold story of Operation Payback, the failed merger between Hawthorne and Melbourne. He is also working closely with former Olympian and parliamentarian Nova Peris OAM on her latest autobiography. Dan is also a mental health advocate and in 2018, while speaking at the Hero Roundtable Conference, Dan opened this conversation publicly, revealing the personal challenges he has faced while dealing with major depression, anxiety and Asperger's syndrome. Dan has a master's degree through Victoria University, which he got in 2013, and a PhD through Federation University Australia in 2019. The South Gippsland-born storyteller has a passion for sports history and biography. Dan and his son Ernie live in Leangatha in Victoria's picturesque Gippsland region with their loyal sidekick Dennis, the Border Collie. You are going to love Dan. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me, Karen. It's good to good to see you again after uh, haven't seen you for a while. We haven't been able to get anywhere or go anywhere, have we? I know it's been a long, long time. I know, <laughs> but you're never far from my mind. Don't worry about that. No, nah, thanks for that. Thanks. <laughs> I wish I wish more women said that. But, uh, <laughs> that's another story. Oh, what you are? Like, what are you talking about, Dan? You're a heartthrob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In my own house with no one around, I am. Yeah, but. <laughs> no, you're just such a legend you you've just pushed through so many challenges and I know that you know somehow you just keep going and you know you just keep shining through for people and I, I think that we need to appreciate more how difficult that is at times you know and that that uh, people that have got you know mental health challenges as, as I said in the you know intro with you 
there's a you know the myth that sometimes we can't do we can't achieve what we think we can achieve because those challenges are in the way but you know you are evidence that um we can can push through and we can make a difference and there are, there are many people in the world that uh well in particular in australia because you know you're all about aussie rules but uh who you know just just put you on such a pedestal for what you the information you you put out there and give them about the game and so um i think you're a bloody legend yeah thanks for that that's a bit too bit too kind but uh, no i appreciate it and you know how much i love what you do you're uh, we had more go-getters like you out there i think uh the world would be a much better place <laughs> yeah the world would be exhausted i can tell you i can tell you yeah they would be yeah yeah they'd need a, they'd need a lockdown to get over you but uh, it'd be worth it <laughs> oh, i love it so you've got 12 books you've written 12 books in six years so that, that in itself is phenomenal right i don't know that so prolific like i don't even know how you how you did that but you did it you've managed to do it and you got more on the way but as a child were you like lost in the world of writing is it something that's always been that's, there? yeah now it's funny i i was lost in the world of reading and lost in the world of just being obsessed with sport history in general just just fascinated by it you know and um yeah i read far more than any of my friends or, or family or anyone would have been reading. That was sort of my my special downtime was to be in my room with a, another footy history book or sport history book in front of me and, you know, soaked up anything that was on TV or history related or and live for my footy. And, um, yeah, and it just – but I didn't know I, – I knew pretty early that there was just something different about how I – viewed the world and what what I was sort of hoping to do in life but, but at the same time I had absolutely no idea what that was and um I just I felt it would be in in sport or in yeah in in this sort of field but I, I there was no planning for it there was no idea of how do you actually make that happen there was none of that I just um somehow got my way through school certainly nothing exceptional there I just you know probably barely passed but you know I, I did I worked, I tried, I tried, I just, it wasn't, didn't work for me, I guess, in terms of really excelling that way. I was probably more into the friends and, and kicking the footy at, at lunchtime and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, so it wasn't planned. I, I, I probably, English was one of my favourite classes and the, the odd time when you would have to write something, I did enjoy that. But, again, there was no nothing special about what I did or, or planning for that. And I finished school. There was no plan of uni. I was just happy to have passed. And, you know, I had various jobs over the next few years, but nothing stuck for too long. Um, still had this massive passion for sport and history. And um, yeah, eventually it just got to a point. I, I, I met uh, one of the greats of Australian rules, Dick Reynolds, when I was 15, just bumped into him in the middle of Melbourne. And he was shocked that this kid recognised who he was. He was in his 70s then. And I was shocked that he thought that. Everyone should have known who he was. So... Um, that sort of sparked me a bit of interest in wanting to learn more about Dick's story and his life. And I'd always look for, I, I, I live in bookshops and I'd always look for a, a Reynolds biography and there never was one. So in another period where nothing much was happening work-wise and I just wasn't inspired in what I was doing, I eventually just came up with the idea that I'd try and write the story that needs to be told. So again, I undertook that not having any idea what that meant, what it, what it entailed, had no specific skills or anything and it, it just grew from 
from there, people started to open doors for me that I'd knocked on that may, you know, they, they didn't have to. They could have shut the doors for me and I might not have got anywhere. But each time I approached someone about what I was doing or where I needed help, everyone was fantastic at helping me. And it, it just grew from there. It's amazing what happened once it just clicked inside me that this is what I was meant to do. Wow, just from meeting one one legend. And it's funny you say there that um, you looked for the book and it wasn't there. And I, I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to that they've actually, what they've gotten off the bench to do was something that they couldn't find themselves, you know, so they they got off to do it. I, I think that's fantastic. So when you, so you've written the first book about Dick Reynolds and like, how did you find a publisher? You know, did, did that just sort of... Um, how did that happen? And this wasn't that long ago either. This is only six years ago. So, yeah, 20, 2014. So, I started the book in 2010 and um, just fitted it around life. Mate, I, I live in Gatha in country Victoria. So, there's lots of trips to, uh, to Melbourne for interviews. And it was, you know, I didn't have any money in the bank. So, each time I got a few dollars in the bank, it was straight in the car and down to the city for another interview. And um, so, I did it, did it pretty hard early on but uh, finally got it finished in 2014 and I was, I was lucky I when I was researching the book I interviewed a, a guy and who used to play in the 40s and his his daughter was there and she said you could turn this into a degree what you're doing and me being the barely educated human that I am I had no idea what she was talking about but I, I followed her advice eventually and I went and saw a couple of professors at Vic Uni in Footscray and they got me straight into a master's degree so that that taught me how to well, it certainly helped me learn how to write, and um, I, I my thesis was on Dick, and then the book expanded on that. So I was lucky that I'd started to craft the skills through doing that, um, and and then so by the time I had written quite enough chapters, I approached the the best footy publisher in going around Jeff Slattery, and he um, I was very fortunate that he. And it helped that I was obviously writing about one of the legends of the game. So the fact that Dick Reynolds' story was there for him, I think he um, he saw that it was a worthwhile project. So I was very lucky that I didn't have to scratch and beg probably to get that first publishing deal. Mm. I know some people have some horror stories of a million rejections. So I was very lucky in that sense. And fortunately, since then, we've we've had a really good working relationship. So that's where I've come to him with some of my book ideas and he's come to me and said, would you like to write this? So it's been a very good partnership in that way. So I was very lucky, mm. probably picked the right subject to start with. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's fantastic. So so after Dig, like, you know, that comes out and you've, you've got that out on the out out for the world to buy and that what what was it that why didn't you stop why did why did you just a lot of people will write one book and think yeah I've done that you know and that was great now I might move on to something else and now I've got the bug but you didn't and you haven't you've just you, you just kept in the whole field of sports and most of it Australian rules football how do you decide like what what you know what goes through your head when you think ha huh, what's the next thing I'm going to write about yeah I found when I was in late high school, and this probably didn't help my my final results at school, but I started to get a lot of mental health issues in about year, probably year 11-ish. And um, so that, that really influenced or affected a lot of my post-school life for the first, whatever, 10 years or eight, eight or nine years. Um, it, it really, um, it, it, 
it hindered my ability to keep jobs and keep relationships and all those important things in life and, and therefore save money and all those things. So I just never found one one thing that I struggled with, I guess, was I hadn't found what my what I felt my purpose was or or what what was going to get me out of bed each day. So it was a battle, you know, and it, it was it was really hard and um, some really flat times. So when I was doing that book, that's without me realising it, I started to become really um, enthusiastic about doing it in a way that I hadn't been for other things I'd done in the past. And it, it became a bit like going for a run and then, you know, you get a bit in, bit self-motivated to try and maybe beat that run the next day and you start to, your body starts to tell you, hang on, we should be going for another run today. Don't sit on the couch. And it's a bit like that where... Yeah. It becomes a bit infectious um, when it, when you do find what you love doing because it doesn't feel like work, even if you are working ten hour days. It doesn't feel like you're actually working as such because you're just so enthralled in what you're doing. And I think that's why when that first one was finished, I was instantly onto what's what can I do next? What what other story? Because a I'd realised I could achieve it, which was a real uh, personal sort of sense of pride to know that hey, you've accomplished something here that is pretty special and. Um, so that was a, a positive feeling. And then also just knowing in myself that this is why I love getting out of bed, you know, otherwise I'm probably not feeling great about myself or great to be around and I just, I'm um, pretty flat, but this is making me feel really, um, yeah, I just found what it was that I love to do. So it, 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 from then on, I, you know, I've got a million ideas in my head every every day almost about what's the next story. What's, and that's why I've been able to write a few in short time because, I do have a couple on the go at once sometimes. Uh, sometimes I've had three on the go at once and it doesn't feel like a daunting prospect. It's just happening because I'm just enthralled in the whole process. So that's why it's become a flow-on effect from there. Yeah, that, and that makes perfect sense. I was thinking just uh, as you were saying that, you know, you are saying that you, you're interested and you're, you're right into it, you're immersed in it, you know, but it doesn't feel like work. And yet earlier you said that, you know, school was such a battle, you know, that you just sort of got made your way through. And it's isn't it amazing, though, that, you know, and, and there's so many opinions about school, so many opinions about education, and, and it's kind of like that that meme that is you can't teach a fish, can't expect a fish to climb a tree, you know, and it's not, it's education is not sort of fixed for everybody. Unfortunately, our system is quite rigid and fixed, but, you know, you, you talked about that you went and did your master's, and so it's it's evidence well, like a lot of people will come out of school and think they're stupid and think they're no good and, and, and their self-worth is really low because they didn't fit into a system and yet when they fit into the system that really does suit them you know like you and your writing and your you you you've, you've, you've proven that you know you can excel you can do your masters and you can come out you know a, a genius and you won't agree with me but you know a genius in that field and and yet if you hadn't have done that, you probably still would be feeling that, you know, I'm not smart, I'm not good, I'm not, I'm worthless. You know what, I think that not everyone gets that opportunity like you got to to have that trigger to push you into another direction to excel. No, so obviously that internal drive was in there because I am a quite an ambitious and competitive person with myself not with anyone else I'm, I'm the sort of guy that would run a marathon on my own and not do it in a crowd I, I prefer to just so it was you're right through school you are and I realize there's limited resources so you can't have every student unfortunately uh, just doing the things that suit them but um, 
yeah, it certainly didn't suit my way of learning. I'm not a classroom um, authority sort of drilling it in you type person. I have to sort of go away and do it myself and have things to aim for. And and um, so it, it did take a while. I was lucky with my masters that I was never needed to be in class or anything. I just got to do it like I was just writing a normal book at home on my own. So, um, so yeah, so it, it did show me, and, it, and now that I've got a four-year-old boy myself, you know, he'll be he'll be shown that throughout his life from me, certainly, that he, um, okay, you might be struggling in this subject or, you you know, you might be hating going to school some days and you don't want to do this and this, but it's okay, mate. You don't have to. I saw some of the stresses that some of my school friends were put under um, once we got the VCE, just stressing about getting certain results and fair enough I know if you want to be a doctor or whatever you need certain marks and that's understandable but it was just in general there was some of them that was so worked up and it was just such an anxiety thing for them when it should have been sort of a fun process of getting to that end of your schooling um, and I was probably looking at that thinking geez I'm a long way off this if I'm not really um, <laughs> not as not as worked up as you and uh, I'm a fair way off but but now because I was able to see that there are other ways to learn and we're very lucky today that we can go and do all these online courses and things that we couldn't do when I was leaving school really um, so it's been amazing in in showing me that there are other paths that you can get there I mean I was 20 late 20s when I started that writing process so you know I'm only just really feeling supremely confident in where I'm at and what I'm doing um, and I'm just turned 40 so it, it's it comes at random times yeah just a case mm -hmm. of getting as you as you say regularly get off the bench it's just a case of just getting off and just starting that process you don't have to actually know where it's going to take you I mean I haven't planned to have all these books finished in this short time it's just happened as a flow-on effect of what I'm doing you know and I I got into a, a bit like my master's I got into a PhD program with Federation Uni in Ballarat again just through saying look this is what I'm doing and I, I when I remember completing my master's and uh, the people that got their PhDs got up before me and I looked at them and thought geez I'm a long way off that's something I'll never do but within a couple of years I was um, I was able to approach a uni and say this is my idea and I got a three-year scholarship to do a PhD so it just come out of yeah they saw what I could do. They probably had more faith in me than I did at the time. But uh, and now, you know, I'm a doctor in my field. Without again, that was never planned. It's 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 just happened from me getting off the bench and actually having a having a crack and having a great support network too, which which helps if your family and that are and your friends and if they're able to sort of see what you're doing and maybe see that you know, you're struggling a bit financially, but you are really having a crack. You're not just sleeping in all day and hitting the pubs, and you know, you're actually having a you're trying and eventually you'd like to think if you try and try and try something's going to open up for you mm. yeah I think so too and I think that you're talking though really about um stepping into your genius zone you, you know and you like you say you're your master's and your PhD and you just all the books just flow out of you all the doors open you know the the publishers on your side everything I think that it, it's it's very hard to find your genius zone you know, because we're, we're so, we, you shouldn't be doing writing, you shouldn't be doing art, you shouldn't be doing music, you know, there's there's a lot of um sort of negativity around those kind of areas, you know, just get a job, just get a job and, you know, settle down and, and rah, rah, rah. 
but if you if you got the um support around you and the and the courage i guess you know and the i guess the, the that intense drive you know like when i'm sitting in my genius zone and sitting in there i'm so immersed in it you know that nothing can stop me and and i'm really achieving i'm really succeeding so i just wish more people could get into that zone because you know even though you I'll talk want to talk about your mental health struggles soon but you know even with that as a challenge um if you weren't doing that the stuff that you truly love you know it would be 10 times more challenging to you know to to battle that but so you you definitely oh go on were you going to say something no it's fine you go sorry well, I was just going to say that, um, you know, you you were saying before that, you, you know, all the doors open for you and whenever you, whenever you've asked somebody for information, you know, people are more than willing to help. And so, so that means that you've sort of uh, got yourself involved with so many of the absolute legends of AFL, you know, and other sports as well. But you have become, and I see you there, you've become quite an identity in the footy arena, you know, like you, you're always posting pictures of you with some superstar or some past footy hero and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's like you've got this golden backstage pass, which is, I think, is wonderful. And, <laughs> and that's evidence in itself that all of these legends, you know, see you as a legend because they, they wouldn't just be, you know, hanging there with you if they didn't see something great in you that you clearly can't see, you know. But do you ever get amongst these legends and past and present and look around and think, oh, my God, there are so many books here? <laughs> yeah, I do. Every There's not a day or not an event or not a moment um, where I'm not trying to find a, 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 an angle to a story and that, you know, it can be standing amongst all the greats at a function or it can be just sitting in my cafe up here and I'm reading the newspaper. And most people go to a cafe and just read the paper as a bit of a time killer and a bit of an update on what's happening. But I'm actually studying it for where is there a line in here that, oh, hang on, this is going to present a whole new story for me. Like I'm really, there's a point to what I'm doing, even though it looks like I'm just uh, killing time each morning, having coffee and not doing much while everyone's heading off to work. But there's a real point behind it. So it's, it's always, and that's, yeah, my probably should probably get sick of me throwing ideas at him, but there are so many that I do want to do. And um, I've got smarter at realising some need to be more marketable to to get to publishing stage than just the fact that you like the story. So you've got to be more conscious of that. I, um, that's something you learn as you go along. But, yeah, it's, it's a constant, if I didn't love what I was doing, it could be very draining and quite a bit like a, a sports coach today, you know, where it's probably a 24-7 job. They're probably at home with the wife and kids and they're still yeah. thinking purely yeah. about the footy team and they probably don't get to switch off at all. And I, I certainly don't get to switch off. And for the most part, that's a good thing. At times, you'd like to be able to just go and hang out at the pub with your mates or do something like that. But I, it's time that I feel like I'm wasting, that I could be... Yeah processing something else um so it's it can be pretty draining in that sense but it, as i said it's so addictive what i'm doing that um i i just want to keep doing it and i don't want to waste time. i mean you can come around and give my house a clean if you like caring because i don't really get around to the house chores too much as you said once you're in your once you're in your seat and you're in the zone for the day um you suddenly look up and it's dinner time and you think heck um i haven't wiped the floor i haven't 
done this or that and uh, we'll do it tomorrow so suddenly there's a build-up of dust and things like that but but where I'm sitting is a perfect setting so I um yeah it it, it is probably probably um, downsides to it but for the most part um it's it's all productive and that's that's what's keeping me feeling good about myself which is very important isn't it that's the that's the key. Uh, you know, I could look at every mate and even all my family. They've all got a, they've all got homes that they've purchased, and they've all got pretty steady jobs and earning so much more than me. But um, I don't feel less than them, even though it probably doesn't look as good um, in the bank account sense and all that side of things. But um, I don't feel like I've like I'm wasting my life compared to them because I know that I'm working as hard as them. It's just, it's, it's a different process for me and, and it's having more of an outcome than just seeing money come into the bank too. It's about actually wanting to get out of bed each day and feel like you've got a bit of purpose to your, to your life. So that's probably what drives me the most. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, for me too, I'm the same, you know, you're talking about, you're so passionate about it you can't stop you and you know I often feel the guilts about work-life passion uh, work-life balance you know whatever the hell that means and I mm. I can't stop either once you're in a zone you know I can't um, and I, I realized the other day we we're talking about uh what you're passionate about and I was I was sort of beating myself up recently thinking oh I don't really have a passion like I used to play guitar and I don't do that much anymore and I'm not really into stamp collecting you know I don't have a hobby or a passion and then I realized the other day after listening to a Jay Shetty um uh, podcast I thought actually that's bullshit I'm living my passion like I am absolutely in it 100% and that's why I couldn't see it but and I, I just love it but you and you also talked about you know when you're hanging out with all these legends and you're always thinking and when you're having a conversation oh is there an angle here is there an angle there now you're quite an introvert quite a shy person and you're not um you know I know you're a great uh, conversationalist one-on-one do you not go I've had some great conversations with you but in a group you're, you're quite shy how, how do you where do you draw that strength from or draw that, you know, inner, inner something from to, to really get into those conversations and find the courage or the extrovert <laughs> you to, to bring to those conversations? Yeah, it is a funny one. I mean, you and me, opposites attract, I guess, aren't we? Because you can be the centre of attention and really captivate an audience in that sense and probably not feel too self-conscious about it. And it, I've... You know, from the first time I heard you speak, you, you blew me away in that sense because you're able to do what I knew. I, I wasn't, I'm, that's just not in my makeup to do, but, you know, you can see why so many people uh, are attracted to you because of how infectious you are and how you go about it. So I'm always in awe of uh, anything you're doing because I think, Christ, um, I'd, be, I'd be hiding under the couch when uh, when you're doing that. But um, it's funny, yeah, I even with family, I can't, you know, everyone's got to sort of, what did you say? Because I speak quietly and I, I don't really, if there's people talking, you won't hear me speak. You know, I'll just be sitting in the corner reading or listening, but not really um, engaging as much as I should just because I'm quite uncomfortable with, with talking in those settings with whoever it is. Um, but, but and and this just come from, again, just it's sudden, I didn't realise it was happening, but, excuse me, but the... Um, I started to do interviews and, and they were quite daunting for me to approach someone out of the blue and 
turn up at their house and start putting questions to them, you know, and you, you could only learn mistakes from your mistakes by making them in those, you couldn't go to school and learn how to be an interviewer, I don't think, you needed to go and do it. And again, soon, once I realised that um, I felt good about doing it and I came away from those interviews feeling like, oh, wow, I've, I've got something really important here, I've got their memories on tape and they've trusted me to mm. put this in the story mm. and it just started to become more of a comfortable thing. And um, before long, you, you are starting to gain different skills and confidence that you didn't realise you had. So now I really, I crave that and I love, um, I can sit down with, yeah, you're right, um, some of the biggest names in sport and not feel anxious. Whereas if you said come to the pub and talk with my mates for an hour, I'd probably find a reason not to go. And um, even though it would be a more relaxed environment and 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 they'd all be great people, it would just be a case of I'd be so anxious about having to have people see me as the centre of attention for a chat, whereas, yeah, I can go and sit with Ron Barassi for four hours and not um, not be anxious at all, you know. So it's funny when you, again, when you find what you do, I, yeah, it, people would be surprised that I am able to do that probably because I um, I don't like, oh, I, it's not that I don't like, I just get the anxiety in the stomach and, you know, those that feeling of feeling quite sick, having to be the centre of attention. and. Um, you sort of shy away from it, but once you, and certainly once you commit to a project and you commit to interviewing someone, you, you, you've got to follow through with it as well. So there's a responsibility to do that. So you're suddenly forcing yourself to step out of your comfort zone a bit. And uh, that that's proved really beneficial for me, even just talking on a podcast like this, I couldn't have done this five years ago, whereas now, you know, there's no drama. So it's, it's one, yeah, it all, it's, it's all an all encompassing thing. Once, certain things start to fall into place and you realise where your passions are, it's amazing what you'll do. Mm. Well, there's one thing in that, that I won't be taking you down the pub to um, hang out with my mates because that's not something that I <laughs> that I like to do. So I'm as bad as you. I'd rather sit, okay. sit at home twaddling on my computer than be down the pub with anybody. So <laughs> yeah. oh, that's good. I'd rather be hanging at your house, Dan, and having a one-on-one show. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> So we can both sit on our laptops and not talk and we'll just uh, do our work. Yeah. Perfect. Great night in. That actually sounds like my house anyway. So that... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, that's all, that's off the card, so don't worry about that. So we'll just catch up. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. But when you um you know, like when you're talking about, you know, you have to you you have to commit, like you have to get over the anxiety once you decide. So how do you choose the next book to write? That's the first thing because, as we said, there's you know you look around. There's hundreds. You're just like I've got hundreds of projects. So how how do you actually choose? Okay, this is the next one, and then once you've decided that, how do you then build up the courage? Like you know, how do you sort of get yourself prepared to to be confident enough, I guess, to go to that person and then say. You know, uh, hi, I'm Dan. You know, here's my next book. Would you be interested? Like, is or do they just think, "Wow, Dan wants to write about me. I'm so bloody on it." I bet they do actually. No, no, I don't think so. But (laughs) no, a lot of it comes from just um, heroes or teams or eras that I was passionate about growing up. You know, like I, I'm an Essendon supporter, but I've written about Hawthorne and North Melbourne and Carlton and. Um, because I was just obsessed with 
all things sport history, you know. So, um, so it is a it is a thing of well, I've, you know, I've approached Dick Reynolds' family. I've done Dick's book. Okay, well, I'm fascinated in Peter Hudson from Hawthorne, another legend of the game, and so I'm just going to try and find out whether he'd be interested, you know, because I'd, I'm someone who prefers to write the book with the family's help or with the subject's help, you know, so um, an input um, to really bring it to life. So um, I, I, I built up enough confidence after Reynolds that I was able to, um, and you start to make a few contacts and suddenly you're getting contacts for people that you would never have had. So my little, my little red book is pretty handy. Um, pretty it gives a pretty good insight into uh you get a few phone numbers there for for people um in the game and that's that's come through building up a trust with clubs and with with other past players and and people like that so i was able to contact peter hudson that way and and that started the journey with him you know he'd never told his story in full and he was he felt comfortable enough around me for whatever reason i don't know why but he um it's the same with um, I did a book on Carlton on this a team from the 70s and 80s that had a lot of success. And, you know, I just that just came out of a conversation with their former coach, David Parkin, and I just asked. Now, he just started talking about that team and, and said a few things about it. So I went away from that chat with him and looked up a few stats and looked up a few names and thought, gee, this, he's got something here. There is This story does need to be told. So that was one I would never have thought of. And that became my most popular book, Larrikins and Legends. So it was, um, and again, once you start to interview a few people from that team, they talk and suddenly they're almost expecting your call and you start to infiltrate yourself into the into their team and their club. And it's amazing, when, again, when they see that you're really eager to tell their story, uh, whether it's a subject on his own or whether it's a team, um, the support that they give you is fantastic. And that's that's sort of been what I've experienced most of the way through. So each story's sort of flown on from the from the last one, you know. So I haven't, um, yeah, I haven't sort of sat there. Oh, I've certainly sat down and studied timelines and teams and names and tried to think of things. But sometimes it just comes out of the blue while I'm researching something and you go, oh, there's a little offshoot to this story that maybe I should pursue that. Mm. While I'm doing this story, I'll just start to look into it and see where it goes. And um, again, sometimes I start a story and it ends different to how I'd thought it would, but um, it's just having that initial idea I find the real, that little spark of genius or that flash of light that comes into your mind where something hits you and you just go, oh, wow, we've got to pursue this. It'd be like an entrepreneur, I guess, who suddenly comes up with an idea for something that no one else has thought of or, or an angle that no one else has thought of. And um, yeah, I, I'm probably not a great person to study if you uh, if you want to work out a structured path to how to do things. It's very much a um, what inspires me at the time, but um, somehow it works. So um, it's hard to sort of say that this is how I come about a story because sometimes it does come from just a simple conversation with someone else or, or yeah, and it, it's amazing where it, where it takes me, but um, that's why I'm always on the lookout or watching documentaries or whatever just to get a different angle that might spark me in a different direction. Yeah. And I think... Did that answer that question? <laughs> it did. It did. But I think, you know, you, we, we keep coming back to this the, when you're in your genius zone. And I know you're not calling it a genius zone. I certainly am. But when you're in that in your, that space, 
you know, there's no there's there's no hardship in there. There's no struggle. You know, you're not you're not actually trying to force things to happen. You know, it it, it all just sort of un, unfolds and unpacks in a beautiful way. And you know, you, mm-hmm. I think um, it just sort of flows as it should, and the next thing comes. I I, I absolutely love what you're doing. I, you know, I think you you just don't see it, but I, it's it's incredible. And all these people, you said a magical word before. You know that all these people trust you. And, and they're not just trusting you uh, to write a story. They're trusting you to write their lives, to, you know, to really... Um, there's, there's, there, there are people out there who can't wait to get the sensational angle so that they can, you know, slag the hell out of someone and, you know, just so that they get a good story. But you are not like that. You bring out all the... All the the, the highlights you bring out the celebration and you bring out even the sensitive stuff you do it with such well with such sensitivity you know and such care that um you even make the challenges really gentle and and beautiful and I, I you know the fact that you've said it and it's true that they trust you with their lives that is um Dan, that's something that's phenomenal, and a lot of people never get to achieve that, you know, to that level that people trust them so deeply. So I, I think that's, you know, credit to you for being like that and for achieving that. Yeah, thanks. Again, it's not something you you consciously know that you're doing, but, yeah, my, my, latest, my latest book was on Peter Crimmins, a Hawthorne captain who died of cancer at 28, and his widow Gwen is... Um, I approached her about doing Peter's story and um, he's got, they've got two young boys, Ben and Sam, and it's still, he died in 1976 and still a very sensitive subject for everyone close to him 40 or 50 years later. So um, if she hadn't have trusted me and to, to do it the right way and, and really open herself up to being, feeling all those feelings again, pretty rawly and, and, and it was pretty affecting for her to go through the process again, but she trusted me to do the story. And I was, you know, I'll always be appreciative of, of that because it, it um, yeah, it showed me that once you, once you're able to trust each other, because um, she had to trust me and I had to trust her and um, we had to really, you know, you butt heads a few times as well, because it was some pretty challenging stuff to put on the page, but I was really proud of how it come together and um yeah if if i had have tried to write that without having her involvement and her trust in me um it wouldn't have been anywhere near as passionate or um, profound a story as as what i was able to achieve so again um if i had have maybe started my book writing with that book it might not have i'm you know i needed to acquire the skills that i got and the confidence in myself and yeah so it's all sort of timing of certain things has happened um how it's how it's meant to and I guess that's through me knocking on doors and everything as well but um comes with experience and comes with confidence in yourself and and belief that you can actually get off the bench and make an impact yeah and it's a step-by-step isn't it it's building that confidence just bit by bit and it's um you know things if you're in your flow things just unfold as they should and I can't tell you how many podcasts I've interviewed people I've interviewed on this podcast that you know they look back over their timeline and you can just see that everything has happened at that time 
you know, just to build to where they are now. And, and there'll be a, so much more coming into the future that was built on this particular moment. But I love it. And you've also um, co-written with, um, with past Olympian and now parliamentarian, Nova Peris, who is a very good friend of yours. And you, I, I see you two, you know, you two have a, a lovely friendship and you, you do a lot together. I think it's wonderful. But how did that... Um, how did that friendship start? And you, you know, what what was it about her that made you want to collaborate with her and start writing that story for her? Yeah, again, I, you know, I was just fascinated from afar. This sportswoman who did so well, and you know, from an Aboriginal background, where, you know, it's always more challenging coming from from the pathway that they have to go through to get to where they are. Um, which for, which shouldn't be the case, but it is, unfortunately, and uh, hopefully it's not forever, but it has been for a long time. And um, So for her to achieve what she did in sport alone was pretty remarkable, but then she gets into politics and, um, you know, breaks more glass ceilings and, um, and there's many ceilings she's broken. There's a lot of glass on the ground because of Nova, I think. She's smashed a few <laughs> smashed a few things over the years. Pretty amazing. And um, I, I saw what she was going through a fair bit, some controversial stuff in politics and, I was watching it from afar and I thought, gee, um, you, you're coping with this pretty well. It must be pretty pretty demanding. And it, so I just contacted her out of the blue. I, it's amazing with social media. Sometimes you can get in touch with people that you wouldn't have been able to do 15 years ago. So, um, And we met up. I said, you know, what, what do you think about doing a book on your life? And um, we met up and her husband, Scott's very similar to me, similar sort of uh, background and passions and things like that. So we just sort of... I guess we clicked pretty early. Again, she saw that I was genuine about what I wasn't there just to get a front page headline about her or anything. So it just grew from there and we started to realise that we had more things in common and we were, you know, we were on the same page, I think, with uh, where things, where we were at in our lives. So it just grew from there. And then Ernie, my son, came along and, you know, she's she loves him and um, and he saw her on play school a couple of years ago and he's like, oh, you know, it was, it was a pretty cool moment for him to think that they can go and see her. Um, but no, we've been great. We've done one book together. It was just, there was a, just uh, an overview of her speeches in, in Parliament. So we put them together in a little book and um, and we have been talking for a long time now about doing the, the full uh, autobiography, but it's life keeps getting in the way but it is still planned but um yeah i've been very lucky they've been very supportive of me through dark times and you know i try to be there for them when i can as well and um yeah we were going to do a podcast and a few things ourselves but then the damn virus came along and nova and scott packed up and went back up to darwin where it was a lot freer and safer up there so we uh, Life got in the way of a few things we we're going to do, but we are still hoping to get that book done. So again, that just come from me having the 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 proactive approach of approaching and just saying, "Look, this is what I'd like to do," and you can say no, but there was never any sort of thought of that. So um, yeah, it's amazing what friendships can come from. That's probably the best thing that's come out of all my writing is some of the friendships I've made with people that yeah, you're right. I did grow up fascinated by and. Um, you start to see that most of them are pretty genuine, you know, but, um, and, uh, yeah, you do build some pretty cool friendships out of that that endure, as you know, it, it becomes almost the best thing about what we do. Yeah. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, I've got most of my really great friends are people that I've met from through speaking and you know and from a lot of this stuff, but also podcasts too. I do exactly what you said. I just reach out to people that you know, and and I'm on this roll to get a hundred rejections, and I've hardly had any. So, but <laughs> it's amazing that you 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 can reach out to people, and you know they're they're they're. People are just people. And I think this is one thing, you know, we can be quite intimidated by somebody who's got a name or somebody who's got, you know, big reputation. And at the end of the day, they're just, they're just people like everybody else. And, you know, and you reach out to them and you get, you know, I've, I'm great friends now with, you know, so many people, we stay in touch and it's just fantastic. Anyway, I love it. And you also did the story about Lydia Lassila, you know, the Winter Olympics gold medalist as well. So that book's called Champions. And did, was it the same? You just reached out to her and... Um... Yeah, I... Yeah, she, she'd written the book a few years ago and, and she wanted to update it. So she approached our publisher and, you know, and so he had to think of someone that was suitable to the story. And I was fortunate that he, he picked me. He could have picked someone far more experienced. It was one of my earlier books that I did so you know that was a, a real real important thing for me to know that he had the faith in me to do that mm -hmm. so I worked with Lydia, Lydia she's fantastic amazing talk about people that are inspirational and she, what she's been through some major injuries she changed careers and um, you know had to work as a mother and a bit like Nova had to sacrifice a lot as a mother to get to where she got to and uh, achieved just uh, amazing. I'm oh, sorry about that. I'll just turn that down. Yeah, so she just achieved amazing things through, um, yeah, just one of the most inspirational people you can meet. So um, it was a real privilege to work with her and, and update her book and tell her story. And um, yeah, it's those sort of projects when you get to sit down with these, these people that are just achieve the the highest they can achieve in their sport or their chosen field I mean, it's a real privilege to sit there and and learn about them and how they went about it and it, yeah it was um yeah it's something i'm really proud of that i was able to work with her and hopefully there's more as you say i've done mostly on footy so far but yeah i'm hoping to branch out to other sports as we go along just um just uh, probably take on too many projects at once then you think oh, i haven't got time to start another one <laughs> but hopefully at some point i can branch out a bit more uh i love it i think when you said there about um that you know the, the publisher reached out to you and chose you and yet there were so many more experienced people i think you know that's a really key point you've hit on is that some people think that because they've been doing it a long time they're the better person for it you know and that type of thing and then and often if we've just started we start to feel imposter syndrome you know I'm not I'm not as good as them and and I don't bring the same and I don't have all the experience but there's the whole point about you Dan is that we talked about it a minute ago you know the trust and that the care and the concern that you bring you know the sensitivity that you bring so if I was if I was Lydia, you know, or the publisher, do I want someone who, you know, has penned many things and, you know, can, you know, grammatically put it all together? Or do I want someone who's going to bring really, you know, pure heart to it? I want you. I want you to tell my story, you know, because you you care and you've got that sensitivity. So I think that that's probably something that you underestimate in yourself that is is such a 
it's it's so valuable you can't even put a price on that yeah so yeah you're right uh, you don't realize it yourself when you're in that and you and you're doing it you just go ahead and do it but yeah when you reflect back you think okay well yeah yeah he obviously saw something in me and she had to then agree to that as well so they obviously saw something in me that was genuine um that's what i try to be everything i write you know all the key people i interview they I send it back to them as I'm going along, you know, they probably get sick of me sending them <laughs> updates of chapters and things, but it's so they can be across the fact that I've written all this and, you know, you, you get the chance to say, mate, you can't have that in or, and no one really has told me to take stuff out. They might refine a word here or there, but they don't, um, they never, I, I very rarely have someone say you can't have that in there. So they, the fact that I am quite open with them and they're not just seeing it in print for the first time and thinking, gee, how dare you quote me on this when I that was off the record or this or that. So um, I'm very conscious of doing that. I don't know what if other writers do that or not, but it's certainly something that I try and do just to make sure that everyone's coming along with me on, this, on the story and they all get their chance to have their say and, and make sure that I'm telling it the right way because I'm generally telling it about people that I didn't live through their era, so you've got to put yourself back in that era to understand it, and that's why you need all the voices in there. And um, yeah, so it's it's something that develops. I think it's not just um, yeah. And then in terms of you said the imposter syndrome, and yeah, for for quite a while I felt inferior seeing my book on the shelves with other people that I whose books clearly must have been better than mine. You know, that was just the the theory and. It wasn't until I reckon the last couple of books when I've suddenly felt, no, no, I um, I deserve to be on this shelf as much as you because um, I know what I'm doing is my heart and soul out there and I'm dedicating the time and I'm making the effort to go and track down as many people as I can to bring this story to life. But, I, you know, so it's, only, it's certainly the first few books, you just you saw your books on the shelf and it was exciting, but you thought, Oh dear, maybe I should put that behind someone else's because his shouldn't be his should be more prominent than mine. But now I, you do you get to a point when you suddenly think, no, hang on, mine deserves to be there as much as yours. It does, and twelve books in six years. I mean, Jesus, that's that's bloody dedication, I tell you. <laughs> but now, Dan, tell us like your mental health challenges because this, I think that this is a really critical point to this because you know, uh, not only have you done written the six, uh, the twelve books in six years, and not only have you sort of reached out and and you're doing things really beautifully and from your heart, and you're making a massive impact and telling beautiful stories, but you have to push through. Um, you know, mental health challenges. You talked about earlier, you know, when you come out of school, you know, when you first come out of school, you, you it was quite a battle for you. And I remember um, first meeting you in 2018 at um, the Hero Roundtable and you spoke about, you know, dealing with depression, anxiety, um, having a diagnosis of Asperger's and, you know, and, and how the writing and your family has supported you on that, on that journey and kept you kept you floating, you know, and kept you up. What, what was it that, you know, that sort of when you come out of school and it, it, the mental health really hit you, what, why, what happened there that caused that to hit in that? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, you reach your teenage years and, you, you know, your body's changing and relationships are changing and it's all about having the right image to impress the right people and, you know, you're trying to, fit into that and then you're getting towards the end of school and you're thinking, heck, um, I'm going to be out in the 
real world soon and I don't even feel like I'm capable of tying up my own shoes. So you start to think of, you know, I guess you've got a lot that you're weighing up and some people can be really clear at that age what they want to do and, and the paths they want to take to get there, whereas others don't. And, and I had a lot of internal anxiety throughout throughout my early life really and um and always felt you know i had issues with my body and with my thinking and with my um with my emotions and there's a lot of things that you couldn't explain but you'd sort of see your mates and they didn't seem to be as uncomfortable in the same settings as you were they might have been and they hit it better than me but i don't think they were and um you just you know, you're feeling you're feeling different in the sense that you, you know, I have real issues with um, clothing and and things like that, which I'll get into shortly. But um, and just little things like that, where you're seeing someone getting around in a suit, and the thought of that makes you actually have a panic attack. And little things like that, you think, what's what's going on here? What what the hell is wrong with me? And it is, and and then you're not overly excelling at school, so you're thinking, gee, there's something clearly not not right with me you know so you do start to self-doubt yourself a lot um i was bullied a little bit in high school just by a couple of people um which was quite difficult as well but for the most part it was just a lot of internal stuff that was that was happening in my head that was making me feel not insane but just worked up a lot and 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 really feeling down on yourself for the fact that you were feeling a bit well, a lot different to other people. And then, so I did start to express that in about year 11, you know, it come out through anger and it come out through um, sadness and it come out through anxiety and it really started to bubble up. And it had been there for a while, I think, but I'd always masked it in different ways, but it just gets a point when it's just tiring masking it and you just start to probably express it worse than you should. Um, and you suddenly start to feel a bit out of control in yourself and it's a really strange feeling when you can't um, when you can't uh, express why that's happening so you you know um, so it's a bit of a flow-on effect from there and I had you know relationships I couldn't maintain and that gets you down when you lose a relationship so there's a lot of things building up by VCE time and um, and then once it came out that you know, and we started to get some medical help and realised that, you know, you're in this depression banner, you know, you're under this and it starts to start to go, okay, but what does that mean? And no one really properly explains to you what that means and you don't know either. So it's a, you don't really get over it. You don't get, didn't really get, certainly got help, but you, you, you didn't get, proactive help in the sense that you come away thinking okay I'm on top of this now and I can get through this and then we'll be fine it just it just continued throughout life and um and into adulthood and it wasn't until in my late 20s pretty much around the time I started writing that book actually the first one is that we went saw a another specialist and realized that I had uh, Asperger's syndrome which suddenly instantly explained a lot of things that had felt wrong you know you you do struggle with textures and you struggle with temperature you know i'm shocking in the heat um you, you struggle with noise um anything too loud can be really intense whereas it can, might be annoying for someone but it becomes a real intensity for me 
Um, hence why I love just being in my own home and just doing my own thing from here. Um, little things that you, you you put up with because you think everyone's going through the same thing, but then you realise that your intensity around this is is worse. And that so it started to explain a lot of reasons why I was struggling at certain points. So I think that helped me. Um, I wish you could have been diagnosed at five years old, but no one probably knew what it was back then. So I'm, I'm not getting this diagnosis until 26, 28. And um, it was it was almost a bit of a deep breath to go, oh, thank God, you've explained things that have been happening to me that no one else has been able to understand. And within five minutes of meeting with you, you've been able to say, oh, I can see you've got this. You must deal with this. You must get this. So it was a real good moment in that sense. So I was at least able to start to understand it. But, yeah, th throughout your school years, you don't really, particularly through my era, hopefully it's different now for kids coming through, but, Yours and my era, we weren't able to talk about those sort of things, were we? Yeah. No, no, not at all. And I think it's um, interesting too with Asperger's, you know, you get away with it a lot more as a little kid too because, you know, all the little kids are doing their quirky little things, to, you know, that sort of stuff. And if, if a seven-year-old boy loves to kick a footy and no one else does, nobody really questions it. It's kind of like, you know, go play your footy. And But then when you get into teenage years and, you know, that's when you're saying, you, you know, started to express anger and that sort of stuff. It's, it is that peer pressure that you have to be doing what everyone else is doing and feeling what everyone else is doing and, you know, being included in everything else. And you, you, that's when the tension really happens for a lot of and particularly boys you know it's a it's a terrible teenage years are a terrible um age for boys with Asperger's committing suicide you know too because they've suddenly been okay or, or you know fit fitted in to a group and then they're suddenly noticing these massive big gaps do you, you know and and, and Without that diagnosis, is it's well, what's wrong with me? Do you, you, you know, why why am I feeling like this? And I love that you're saying, you know, with that. Some people say yes, we should get diagnosed. Some people say when we we shouldn't because it's better not to know and all this. There's all sort of varied um, thoughts on it, but I I think that exactly what you're saying. When you were diagnosed, everything fell into place. Did you, you understood? Oh, hang on. It's okay for me not to like a suit because that's part of my sensory stuff, you know, and it's, it's okay for me to get, uh, you know, upset with noise because that fits into what difficulties I would have sensory wise. And, you know, I think um, it, it, it's, it's fortunate that you did get that diagnosis because otherwise you'd still be thinking what's wrong with me. Yeah, exactly. And, and part of that relief was, you know, mum was in the room with me when I got that diagnosis and it was just the, I just broke down crying because it was just the relief of yeah. now mum and dad know that I wasn't just a complete a-hole, you know. They know that there was more to it than that and that I wish for them and for my three siblings that they could have known that in the teen years as well because it would have made their life a lot easier because it's been hell for all of them. And, you know, that's the flow-on effect of anyone who's dealing with any of that stuff is your family and friends probably cop it more than anyone because, uh you probably feel you can um, express in front of the people who really love you and, and are around you. But, um, yeah, so part of that relief was oh, now the family can know that it's mum and dad haven't done anything wrong or, the, you know, my siblings, I didn't hate them. I just couldn't uh, be around them as much as I probably should have been and, you know, things like that. But, um, so it was a relief in that sense. And, um, and that came about because I, I was dating a, a girl whose daughter had 
Asperger's and I didn't even, even know it existed. So I was seeing her doing things that I was doing that was driving me nuts, but I was thinking, hang on, uh, I actually go through the same thing. So when we split up, uh, that's when I said, uh, I think we better go and ask about this because gee, she was doing so many things. And one of the things, and it's actually worked in my, like it's part of the key to why I'm able to do what I do really is that part of part of having like a, an autistic or an Asperger-y thing is that you you're very intensely passionate about certain things and everything else doesn't really matter to you. So for this young girl, she was obsessed with marbles. And if every night they had to be counted and laid out and perfect, and if you picked one up and threw it away, you've lost her for the night. She'll have an absolute meltdown. And that was me with things growing up relating to sport and, and history. You know, mum and dad couldn't bend a newspaper for 15, 20 years because that was part of my obsession was I need to keep this scrap of paper for because it's got a little story in it on a, on a footy history thing or something. And if they bent the paper, oh, you'd lost me for the day. There were little things that were really intense, but that passion for that focus, um, I'm practically useless when it comes to putting a fence up or uh, oh, basically anything, actually, Karen. I can mow the lawn, but um, if you need me to do anything else, uh, you better ring my brother or my dad or someone because I am useless. But, um, but it's... But that's because I think all my focus is just all, all the intensity of my inner focus is on what I do do good, which is the writing and the researching and all that. And um, and I think so in that sense, there was another way of, as another part of the relief was, well, hang on, there's actually positives to this. If we channel it, you know, if maybe I was passionate about it, playing guitar or something, well, channel it that way and you're going to get a kid or an adult who's so mm-hmm. focused on doing that, they're going to achieve awesome things because... But you're right, through school, you you can't be probably channelled as much as you'd like because you do have to fit into a system a bit. And so that's when you do start to feel a bit odd, when you get a bit older and you can question yourself a bit and say, well, hang on, why am I not fitting in? And this is really hard. And you do express it in the wrong way sometimes. But it's because you you, you don't fit into a box. You, you, you're that circle that just needs to learn it a different way. But once you work out what that way is or what that subject is, you, you're unstoppable. Yeah. Well, I love it. And I'm glad you've got the diagnosis because, you know, it makes your life, well, you know, I know that there's struggles with it, but I've, I used to do a lot of work with autism and and people with autism. And I just, you know, and there's some part of me that says really strongly believes that God, if we all had it, you know, the world Mm. would be bloody, it'd be black and white. Just get the bloody thing done. Just get on with it. You sit there, I'll sit here and let, we don't have to talk. We'll just get the damn thing done. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) The world would click a lot easier than all this bullshit about, oh, the weather's nice and, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, there's no small talk. It's just, (laughs) let's just make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, and that's what I appreciate about I think that's such a important thing I just I just love it and I love that your family have uh, supported you with your writing I love that your writing has helped you know like the fact that you you now know where you sit you now know where your zone is you know you know what's important to you and you can just flourish in that is just I think that's just beautiful and it, and it doesn't mean there's no more struggles that doesn't mean that because you're always going to be faced with um you know situations that cause anxiety and you know and sensory things that are going to cause you stress but the fact that you know 
one, that you know what's going to trigger you, you can avoid it where possible. And two, if you can't avoid it, you can at least say, okay, I know why I'm feeling this. And this is my strategy to remove myself or to reduce that impact. So at least you've got that, you know, to, to, to work with, but. For sure. I think you're incredible. <laughs> you know, well, I've always loved you. I loved you since the minute I've met you. You just, um, <laughs> you just, you're just beautiful. But and I was in Langatha last week. I'm buddy. Uh, while you're talking, I was looking at you. Think, oh, damn it! Why didn't I call in and see Dan? I had an hour to kill. I should have only done that. But never mind. Uh, we'll do it again. But no, nah, the, the local the local coffee shop uh, knows Ernie and our dog Dennis. He knows us three are. Uh, bit of a staple of the Ernie gets a bit put out if someone dares sit in our seat or something like that. So uh, we uh, will always have a seat there for you. If you and Nikki are ever in town, make sure you uh, let me know next time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I wonder if Ernie knows that his, um, he would never get starstruck with his dad, but I wonder one day if, if one day he will say, Oh my God, I never knew. I never knew what my dad did. He's, he's a bloody legend. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at the moment he's at that age where it's why you're still at the desk, you know, why aren't you out here? It's, it's so many times he says, Dad, take your glasses off because he knows if the glasses are on, I'm busy working. And <laughs> um, so he's he's pretty smart in that sense. But it, it is one thing, um, you know, sometimes it can be difficult when you're co-parenting and you don't always see eye to eye, so it can be a bit of a challenge. But that is why I, I do try to get him to... A lot of memorable things that, that I do, whether it's interviewing someone and he comes along or some sort of special event, just so when he is older, he can. I know it right now he doesn't appreciate it, but he might one day just sort of go, oh, wow, we got to do some cool things, Dad, you know. And that's one of the, yeah, the privileges I'm in. I can take him to some certain things that, you know, other kids at his age might not get to do. And, it, yeah, we, we, we make sure there's lots of photos in the house and really, really remind him um, when he is older particularly if there are more challenges in the in the parenting side of things that I'm able to, one day he'll be able to say, oh, you know, dad, dad did make the effort, you know, and that's, that's the important thing. And he's starting to get to that age where it's what book are you working on, dad, and things like that. So, and, and certain names he remembers now that, you know, Peter Hudson's book will be out at the start of next year. And, you know, so it's, so he's still writing Peter's book. He's still, you know, and he's met Peter and he's, yeah. So little things like that, that, really um compliment what i'm doing and uh will be special with him one day you know it'd be cool if he's able to go to the school library i see things in him that i had as a kid so i don't know whether he'll end up with the same things i've got or not but he does have certain things like that and um yeah so it will be cool if he when he is at school if he's able to go to the school library yeah, and see dad's book there it might be a proud moment for him hopefully and just to just to show him as well that you know you can do different things to other people if you if you want to have a crack yeah 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 absolutely well, you're a bloody good role model in that sense and I think even though that he's only four I think he will remember stuff I mean my my dad was good mates with Barry Round and you know he used to be at our house and and I still remember that you know from when I was a kid and you know and I remember all the footballers dad used to play he played mostly for Warrigal he played for Richmond for a bit and you know and but all the Warrigal footballers I remember them coming around to our house most Saturday nights after the game and you know I, I still remember all that sort of stuff and so I, I think he'll yeah I think he'll still remember. He, he'll wake up one day and go wow leave your glasses on dad <laughs> <laughs> right, I hope so because I don't get much work done <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. Oh, this is this has been fantastic. I, I've loved this. Now I'm going to ask you about the get off the bench question that I ask everyone. So there's going to be um, many people out there battling with mental health issues because it's you know it's growing and it's getting more and more and more and you know very often this causes them to step back and leave their dreams on the table or off the table whatever the case may be we're not going to do my dreams so you're proof that despite you know any of these um, challenges you can still achieve your dream and you can still become extraordinarily successful at it what advice would you give to anybody in this situation who feels like maybe their chance will never come and maybe even that it breaks their heart. Yeah, well, first thing, yeah, whatever it is you're interested in, doesn't matter what it is, riding, um, you know, building fences, uh, things I can't do, uh, any of those sort of things, it, find out, just go and ask. You might have no money in the bank. You might have, you know, no no girlfriend, you're struggling to pay your rent, but just go and start asking people who in that area where you worked or where you're keen to work or just keen to follow a passion, just go, just approach someone and ask them. I, I didn't know what questions to ask. I turned up to that master's degree interview. I didn't know anything about what I was supposed to even be talking about. I just said, oh, this is what I'm doing. And I left it in their court to ask the question because I didn't know, but I made the effort to go there and, and do that. And it changed my life doing something like that. And it's happened so many times where I've just made the call or, a, you know, a cold call can be quite intimidating. You, you can email a lot of people now or you might find someone that is doing something you like and you see them on Facebook. Or something. You just send that first message out and it just needs that first. If they had have blocked me at the start, you know, you, you might have been disheartened and, you, you know, but so the fact that they were open to letting me explore what I wanted to explore and and you know the family my family were on board and all that it, it just made it, it gave you that little push in the back to get up and start going you know and again you might not know where you're going but you just know that you want to go somewhere and you need to go somewhere for your own self um so it's just that initial step you know you don't have to have all the answers to the questions that you want to ask you just need to approach and just start you know just find what it is and just start with something simple something simple as one email or one phone oh, yeah. call or just going along to an event like the hero round table you know you go along and suddenly someone sees you and sees what you do and they're like oh wow karen's gee she's an interesting person i've got to i'll go and talk to her after this or i'll get her email or you know it doesn't take much does it just to start and you know i have some shocking days mental health wise, some shockers but i know in myself that i'm driven now by doing this not for any other reason than I'm just so um, engrossed in what I'm doing and it's giving me really good feeling inside. Um, I'm happy, I'm eager to get out of bed, which, you know, we're not all, we all we don't all, a lot of people have Monday-itis and things like that. There's none of that mm -hmm. for me and I doubt there is for you either because you just, you want to hurry up and get to sleep so I can wake up and start doing it again. You know, it's a bit like that. And once people feel that way, no matter how bad their situation is, once you feel that way and have that little bit of inner purpose, um, it can take you anywhere or, you know, as far as you want to pursue it after that, but it's just getting that initial seed planted, isn't it? I reckon it is too. I reckon it's that just get off the bench, just get one, put one foot, you know, your best foot forward and just go for it. And because like you say, it, it, 
one thing leads to the next and it's just that first step that first thing is so damn hard but once you're over that first hurdle everything unfolds everything really does and so perfect advice and and I think you know the whole thing about getting out of bed just get just get up and give it a, give something a go just move forward in the right direction because uh, otherwise we move backwards and it's so bloody hard but Ah. Every 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 school in Australia should have you there at some point, Karen, <laughs> just to um, just to give that message. Because again, if I had that in school, you know, and that's why you do look up to your sport heroes or your music heroes or whatever it is, because you need that in school. I think more some seeing someone just showing you that you know you can do it because you have a million doubts going through school years and even through adult years. You have a million doubts and. But if you had someone to mentor you in that sense through school, and again, resources are limited, I know, but gee, wouldn't it be great if every student could get access to someone like you with your message um, once a week, once a month, whatever it is, just to, it would change. You'd, you'd change some, at least one person's life, but I reckon you'd change half the class, you know, yeah. just because of people are seeing, gee, that's, that's a simple message, but, you know, you come away feeling good about it and you just start to feel a bit more positive. Yep. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And and some people do, and I have had people say to me, you know, but oh, but you're amazing, you know, you've got something. But I haven't, you know, it's not amazing. It's just, it's the fact that, you know, in all of these great things that I'm doing, and I, you know, it's taken me a long time to say that they're great, but it's um, I, I'm not haven't been skilled or been an expert in anything. Do you know, it's just been the fact that I've had the guts to put one foot in front of the other, do you know? And that is the only reason that I've achieved what I've had. It's the courage to put one foot in front of the other. And every single person on this planet can find that courage, you know, it's just has got that inside them, that ability to take that one courageous step at a time. And it's, you don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to have a PhD like Dr. Dan here. You know, you don't yeah. have to. <laughs> you don't have to have any of that stuff. You just have to just back yourself, and that's the message I like to get. Is just back yourself, and and even if it, the you don't get the outcome that you were hoping for, you'll still get an outcome that you can learn from. You know, and that can push you into another direction. Yeah, take it. Sorry again. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and that's 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 spot on. Yeah, even I talk about I, I was lucky to get straight in with the publisher, and it worked well for me. But I I approached a, a uni about doing my PhD, and you know the professor there, or the or the lady in the staff that I spoke to, she said, um, "So tell me about your undergraduate staff and all this and." You know, I sort of looked a bit dumb and said, I haven't done any of that. I just got straight into a master's. And she laughed. She actually laughed mm. in my face and said, there's no way you'll get into a PhD. I don't, you know. And so I could have walked away. Well, I did. I walked away pretty disheartened by it. I thought, oh, well, clearly that's not something that I'll, is attainable for me. But then I thought, no, I will. I'll contact someone else. And I contact someone else. And as I said, I got a three-year scholarship for the same story, the same subject I was going to approach through the other, that other uni. And, um, yeah, I could have given up there and then and not had that. But, again, you just, that internal drive to do it yourself, I didn't have anyone else pushing me saying, go and do this. It was just me saying, no, hang on, there's got to be another way around this because I'm pretty passionate to do it. And, and I think the story's good. And, um, and yeah, so, so 
there are setbacks or little blockages along the way that can dishearten you again and you might go back to sitting on the bench and not doing anything but that's where you then just find another way around it you know like I didn't star in school but I found a way around it where I've now got a PhD which you know I'm sure my school teachers would be shocked by that <laughs> maybe maybe they're not maybe they have more faith in me than I did in myself maybe but um but again, yeah. So I could have, I could have sort of given up there and then, and, and gone back in my hole. But I just said, no, stuff it. I'm going to try someone else, and you know, I'd love to see her today and just show her what I've done. But um, but that's, that that does become a thing where you do then push yourself again because there are times you're right where you just you sit down, and you think, oh, I can't get, I haven't got the strength to get back up and try this again. But again, knock on another door and yeah. be amazed, yeah. Yep, a hundred percent. You know, and it's not you. You can't take the first thing that uh, the first person's opinion that comes back at you. You know, because that that can knock you right off your perch. And if you believe in something enough, just keep just keep trying because there will be someone out there who believes in you. You know, and and there will be a way to get to 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 do whatever that thing is you want to do. But oh, yeah, well, I think we do. I think even as sorry, Karen. Just there. I think even as adults. There's still a lot of boxes where you're expected to just fit into the structure of how it works. But um, as you and me have demonstrated, there's ways to go around things to get to a completely different outcome that wasn't part of that structured way forward, you know. But um, so you just choose a little way around it and might be amazed by how you actually outdo what they thought you could do and what you thought you could do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And don't worry about what everyone else expects of you. You just do what yeah. you stay in your lane and you just do your thing. And you know, it's um you'd be surprised what you can do when you're in that zone. Uh Dan, I have loved this chat. I just I love you. I love your heart. I just love everything about you. You just a, you're you are a legend. You don't see it, but I see it. And I'm just uh <laughs> I'm so grateful you spent this time. I'm sure people are gonna want to find you and uh you know start following you if they haven't already heard of you. But where can people find you? Yeah, I've been lucky. A friend of ours, Maddie Langdon, put together a um a website for me which i think he looks pretty good makes me look uh, quite smart so if you go to daneddybooks.com you can see all the books i've done and what i've been up to and you can uh, you can see the video from the from the um hero round table chat that i did which was quite an uncomfortable chat but um you approached me afterwards so it must have been okay and then um and then yeah and and you know, all my books are on there but also my contact details and everything so daneddybooks.com or uh, if you want to get in touch. Yep. And also Facebook, Dan Eddy Books, Insta, Dan Eddy Books, and yep. LinkedIn, Dr. Dan Eddy. And, yes, I did approach you after that talk because um, it, it you you touched my heart. And I remember coming up and giving you a big cuddle. And I don't know whether <laughs> whether you wanted a cuddle or not, but you got one anyway. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it was appreciated. Thank you. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> I remember because I'd met you the night before at the pre-function and you were um, you were your typical loud out there self and I hadn't said a word all night and then after I got up and said, you know, I don't cope well with loud noises, you'd come up and said, I'm so sorry for, for being so loud. I said, no, 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 no that's, that's not an issue. But, yeah, it was just funny that uh, you were horrified when you heard that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't realise. I only knew you were an author. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, you can't can't judge a book by the cover, can you? Because no. uh, yeah, you just yeah, you don't know. No, you can't. Uh, but I genuinely did. I was concerned because I was quite late. I was my normal rambunctious self <laughs> at the <laughs> at the dinner. But um, no, I just think you're a shining light, Dan. I just think you're you're just amazing, and your your evidence and your, your evidence that you can still push through stuff and you still can succeed, and you're just um. You know, you're, you're a great role model for people who, um, you know, may be hampered by Asperger's or by mental health. And, you know, and and you're just, you're just doing some amazing stuff and such a great role model for people who may be doubting themselves and may be thinking that, you know, that, that they can't contribute because I don't believe that at all. Everyone can contribute and you're proving that. And I just think you're a bloody legend. You know that. Oh, I do. Thanks for that. Now, and the feelings are mutual now we uh got great respect for what you're doing and as i said you know you should be you should be in schools on the on the on the on the books doing uh some promotional stuff um you know some <laughs> positive stuff there for the kids because yeah I, I would have craved that sort of message as a kid myself and I've, i reckon there'd be millions out there that would and i've got little i'm well, not little anymore but nieces and nephews in school and you know they'd, they'd love to hear those messages too so it's important that your message is getting out there to as many people as possible. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. I might have to send a book to every single school. I don't think I can afford that. that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the pitfall. Everyone wants freebies when you <laughs> when you start bringing books out. And me being the financial brain dead person that I am, you, you give them away. You think, oh, hang on, <laughs> that hasn't worked out too well for me. But um, yeah, no, charge them. Make sure they pay. Yeah, yeah, they can afford it. <laughs> I yeah, love it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, thank you, Dan. You've given given my confidence. A bit of a boost and I hope I've given yours a lovely little boost this morning and um definitely so appreciate this. So anyway, next time I'm Lean Gather, I will call in and say good day. <laughs> Very good. We'll see you then. Okay, thanks, Dan. See ya. Oh, that was fantastic. I absolutely love Dan. I love his courage. I love what he's doing. And I and as I said in there, I love the sensitivity that he puts into all the stories that he writes. He's such a prolific writer. And the, the shelves in bookshops are full of Danity books and, the, and they're all sporting history and all that kind of stuff. But he's just, he brings stuff to life and it's fantastic. And I love what he was talking about, about, you know, his Asperger's diagnosis that, you know, when you, when they're kids, when, as kids, you know, you can do all these little things and kick the footy to yourself and nobody notices. But as you become a teenager, it really starts to unstick you. And I love that he's been able to push his way through that and as he says you know stay focused on something and something that he really really loves and that's where you can excel instead of trying to fit in with um you know you know what the rest of the world expects of you and just trying to keep up with the joneses because it doesn't work anyway i really hope you've loved that i really hope that um it spurs you on to start writing or to start doing that thing you love so anyway that's it uh thanks again for joining me and i will see you next week see ya hey thanks for joining me it really does mean the world to me now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.